0: What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today,
1: we're talking about dexterity games, we're talking about flicking and thumping and tossing and all that good stuff. We're talking to Aaron West from over at Elger Game. An OG as far as like dexterity games. I mean, Aaron, you're, you're kind of like a, a guy that's on the Mount Rushmore of dexterity games. And so I really appreciate you uh, coming on the show. Yeah, it's my pleasure to speak to you, Gabe. Yeah, you actually in the design of Catacombs, that was one of the very first games I ever bought when I was getting into the hobby. And this is like the old school ugly black and white, you know, I'm not sure where you get the the art from version, and I loved it. And I've had a ton of fun playing it with some friends and just kind of going through the dungeons and flicking stuff around and that was the pre-wall days and so we'd flick stuff off the table and it'd go in the litter box and you know disappear. And so Man, I really appreciate what you have contributed to the to the hobby, and I'm excited to talk to you about dexterity games. Get your thoughts and ideas, kind of what you've seen as the as the landscape has changed and whatnot. But just in case people don't know who you are, they don't know you know who Eldra Games is. Give me your bio. How'd you get into game design, game publishing, all that good stuff?
2: I Spent uh, I'm playing games um, over the uh, over the course of my life, uh, starting in uh, really high school, I would say, uh, with uh, you know, Warhammer 40k and um, you know, some role playing games as, as well, not necessarily uh, Dungeons and Dragons, but similar systems that had uh, that had come out at, at, at the time and uh, then was playing more of the, the traditional hobby games, if you like. And uh, again, with is with some uh, some friends and still over the course of a few years, uh, we decided that we'd like to, to, to take a stab at publishing our own game. And uh, we came up with some different designs and uh, did some, some iterative passes uh, through those designs and settled on what would ultimately become uh, catacombs and uh, released that in, uh, in, in, in 2010. Originally under the, 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 the branding uh, Sands of Time uh, Games, proceeded to release some expansions uh, and, and, and grew that fledgling um, catacomb community. And then in 2014, under the branding Elzra, I took it over and launched Catacombs 3rd Edition.
1: Yeah, very cool. Now, where did the original idea come from? Like, did you think, hey, you know, it'd be really cool, a dungeon crawl with dexterity? Is that kind of how it began? Or what was the the kind of catalyst to get that idea going? I
2: think we were talking about a miniature golf style game originally. And then the dungeon theme was integrated into that. It, 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 was a, it was a very organic process. It just grew out of different ideas and discussions that the, the three of us, Ryan Amos, Mark Kelsey, and myself had um, as we iterated on the different design possibilities.
1: Yeah, very cool. And I feel like this game really opened the door for a lot of other designers to think, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that was possible, and to kind of get the gears turning. That, and it's probably led to a lot of games uh, that are on the market now that people played Catacombs and realized, oh, you you can do this with dexterity, you know, because you know back in the day it was dexterity was like a one mechanism thing. You can do one thing, and that's about it, you know, whether it was Jenga or Kaplunk or something like that. And then what Catacombs showed us was that no, you could have a deeper, heavier style game but with dexterity elements and it'd be a ton of fun. And so, and it's been really cool to see how the game has changed and and evolved and you've added different pieces and the way the cards work and all that stuff. And I'm excited to kind of get your thoughts on how the game has changed. But before we even get into that, what would you say is a good working definition of dexterity games? Like when when you think dexterity, what does that mean in the board game space?
2: Uh, Primarily uh, something that involves manipulating an an, an object in real time Hmm. sort of an abstract definition. But if you've got a disc, it's a three-dimensional object. And in this particular case, you're flicking it. In the case of Jenga, you've got a wood block and you're manipulating it in in the case of Jenga to ensure that the the tower that you're constructing stays balanced. So these are two examples of that, uh, of that spatial manipulation of a, of a three-dimensional object
1: yeah that's a really good point point. and so you know games like junk art come to mind as far as making sure things are balanced and also a game like flip ships uh, is, is a really cool kind of take on dexterity where you're using cards have you have you played flip ships
2: i've not but i'm familiar with the uh the design and i'm familiar with the the design of um of junk art as well
1: yeah definitely and so like what are some of the other games that maybe maybe you know fit into the dexterity style of game a little bit differently what are some of your favorites
2: um uh, well to, to be honest with you uh in terms of dexterity games specifically uh it's it's not something that our gaming group uh, uh plays uh, they, uh-huh. they tend to uh prefer the more euro style games where you're so i suppose if if a manipulating of wood meat meeple to uh, to to execute uh, an action uh, in a in a classic worker placement style game could be considered dexterity and it isn't um, then uh, that that's one possible way to look at it but yeah they don't typically they don't typically play uh, dexterity games so I don't have an opportunity to play them uh, all that often outside of our normal playtesting that that we would do for for catacombs itself.
1: Gotcha. Well, it, it gives me some encouragement to know that even a guy like Aaron West still struggles to find people to play his dexterity game sometimes, because this has been this has been my challenge for sure. I talked to some other people that were doing some dexterity, and they're like, I can't find people to play. I was like, I know, even my wife, who plays all my games, she looked at me the other day and was like, can we play something else? <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, I guess so. And so, and why, why do you think that is? Why do you think uh, people kind of shy away from dexterity games? I feel like the market's growing, but why do you think so many people are like, no, that's not my style?
2: I think primarily it's exposure. They they haven't necessarily had the opportunity to to take a so-called heavier dexterity game and appreciate what it can do. There's plenty of other uh, de- dexterity games that they may have been exposed to. I mean, arguably something like Hungry Hippos could be, as a mass market title, could be considered to be a dexterity game. You have to press a physical switch in order to capture a sphere that's going to roll inside of the, 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 the arena, if you like. Uh, as i mentioned previously, Jenga would be another uh, mass market example, but there's no complex uh, layers of rules to a game like Jenga. It's a physical challenge. That, that's it, it's the, what the design uh, expresses make sure the tower doesn't fall there really isn't anything else beyond the, the, the primary mechanics that uh, that you're expected to perform to do to, to meet that challenge there's nothing really else it's not like okay well if you place like say a red brick you're going to get a, 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 a bonus of, of some kind or if you place a blue brick something different it is going to happen there's nothing like that in there so I think it's a question of exposure uh, if if um, your, the, the type of dexterity games that people may encounter in their lives are very simplistic, they may not know that there are other dexterity games that are out there that are, that are more uh, sophisticated. And, um, you know, I, I think the other aspect to it as well is that people may, may not want the, that feeling of having to practice yeah. Another key part of dexterity games, you have to practice at, say, flicking a disc. I mean, uh, in fact, during our playtesting uh, you know, over the years, like, I was the, the weaker player, if you like, out of, our, out of the three of us when we were designing catacombs, when it came to flicking the discs. My accuracy wasn't very good, but over time, it's gotten much better. Okay. And um, that's, again, a function of practice. So I think uh, if people can approach a, uh, a heavier dexterity game with that attitude that maybe the first time they play it, they, they may not feel like that the game is balanced or that they they uh, achieve the result that they wanted, but that they could come back and iteratively improve. I think that would um, I, think, well, that, I think that would help.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I've found both those things to be the case in, in my own uh, game design of these different dexterity games. I'd, I'd say exposure is huge. I've had so I don't know two or three people send me messages that they've been helping me with playtesting. You know, just people I've met through the internet, and they came back and they said, you know, initially I was skeptical because I, de- I haven't played any dexterity games, and so I wasn't sure I was going to like it. But then, you know, but then after playing the game and going, oh, OK, I didn't realize Dexterity Games could do this. Then they're starting to look at, you know, flick them up and catacombs and flip ships and some of these other games and going, oh, OK. And it's almost like the, the world of gaming has been opened up to them just a little bit more to realize, hey, yeah, th- these are actual games. It's not just like a little activity. Like there's a lot of choices and, and complexities and strategies going on. And I, th- I think you're, you're right. As, as the market grows and hopefully as more people get exposed to this genre, this style of game then more people are going to are going to come in and go yeah this is a, a game that I, I enjoy and i guess we're just kind of uh, waiting for, for more and more people uh, to to want to be part of of this style
2: yeah i would say that that, that that's a reasonable way of looking at it um, you know there's uh, there there hasn't been uh, yet a you know a, a a dexterity game that's really gotten on people's radar yeah. and t- as, as something that they would, uh, that they'd want to try. And, you know, hopefully, uh, um, you know, our, our catacomb system and some of the other games that, that you mentioned will be, uh, will function as a, as a, as a gateway for them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Or maybe somebody like Jamie Stegmar will make Scythe the dexterity game or something and <laughs> make it a little easier for, for the rest of us. Well, actually
2: we do have our gateway game, um, catacombs conquest, which yeah. I can, I can teach to people at a trade show booth in about five minutes. And um, you can get into that pretty quickly and you, you play your cards and you flick your discs and you're done and you, and you put it away and it can be, be finished in about 15, 20 minutes, depending on how much time you spend with each of your shots. But that, that was a product that, that we designed uh, that Ellsworth, uh, put out there to encourage people to take a look at dexterity games at a very affordable price point.
1: Yeah, for sure. This is actually a game I bought uh two days ago as, really? it, as it stands. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it, was in, it was on sale on cool stuff. And uh, I was looking for some other games. Um, I, I run a board game club on Monday afternoons for the, the high school kids up here. And uh, so I was looking for to buy some games to kind of add to our collection. And I noticed that one was was on sale. And I think it was like, 14 or $15 something like that. And I thought, you know, this could be a game, you know, cause these kids, they haven't played Dexterity games. I live in Honduras, you know, like these guys, these guys have played Uno and Monopoly and Scrabble. And that's about it. And so, you know, of the, of the few hobby games they've played, you know, King of Tokyo and, uh, Couple, we've got a really interesting D anD D game we've been playing recently. Uh, I was like, Man, "Dexterity might be really cool for them," but like, how do I how do I do? Like, going right into catacombs might be a little too much. And so I thought, "Well, oh, this this would be a really good way to kind of introduce these kids to this style of game." And so I'm glad that you you did develop that game, and I can't wait for it to show up here. It, it takes about two weeks for uh, games to, to to get here in Honduras the way I have to ship them. But uh, yeah, I'm excited to to show the that game to those kids, and I think they're going to like it, and hopefully they'll want to play deeper ones, you know, down the road.
2: Yeah, I hope so too. Um, that, that's exactly what uh, the Conquest product was um, intended to do, was to serve as that, that introduction. And once you get familiar with our system, you know all the icons are uh, consistent across Conquest and the, the, the rest of the, the Catacombs line, it serves as an introduction point to, um, to, 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 to get people into the, the other games easier.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'd say this is a really good, really smart publishing move for for you. And I'd say mo- other publishers maybe need to think about doing this as well of creating you know, smaller or, or more, sim- maybe simpler. I don't know if "simpler" is the right word, but easier to get into versions of their games. And then it's a natural progression into, you know, the deeper ones. It's kind of like the McDonald's, you know, if McDonald's can get you to enjoy their food when you're a kid and happy meals and they got the toys and all that stuff, then you're more likely to stay on as a consumer of McDonald's food as an adult. And so if you get people in the door early and they're, you're, you're more, they're more likely to stick around. So I think it's a really smart way to go.
2: Well, that's what we're, uh, uh, we're, we're hoping for. Um, you know, the sales of conquest have been, uh, have been solid so far. So awesome. we, we think people are, um, are enjoying it and or at least giving it a try and that yeah. I could ask for nothing more than that you know at least give it a try and uh and, and make up your mind and if, you know if you decide it's it's not for you um it hasn't been like a substantial investment or anything like that and we'll give it to someone that uh, that may enjoy it
1: yeah definitely all right let's get into some design challenges when you're you're working on one of these games what are some of the bigger issues you've run into over the years in designing dexterity games
2: Uh, I I think a better way to phrase that is what, uh, issues or problems haven't we run into? (laughs) Fair (laughs) enough. (laughs) I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's a very, very challenging, uh, space to be in. And at least in, in my opinion, I mean, other aspects of uh, publishing, uh, can, can also be challenging. I mean, I'm not attempting to suggest that, uh, that dealing with the whole uh, process of of digitally sculpting, uh, a figure for eventual injection molding isn't isn't a isn't a complex process. Of course, yeah, right. it is, and there's a lot of material con- considerations. And, um, but uh, when it comes to de- dexterity games, uh, you, there's certain constraints. Uh, things, by things, I mean components, have to behave and have to be produced in such a way that the desired outcome, say in the case of catacombs, flicking can, can happen. So the, the board has to lay flat, um, yeah. certain, um, uh, the, 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 wood discs have to be a certain shape. They have to be a certain weight, um, et cetera, et cetera. So these are some of the, uh, the, 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 the challenges that we have to pay extra attention to.
1: Yeah, definitely. That's something I ran into in my own design because originally I had like a a quad fold board that was the the play space that was this, you know, galaxy. But I noticed that if the if the board wasn't perfectly flat, then the dice or the tokens would, would get stuck. And it's like, well, well, what did I hit? This is open space. But all of a sudden my, my spaceship got, got stuck. And so I've noticed that you guys used to use boards, but now you're moving on to using neoprene mats. And with your latest Kickstarter, you got all the, the really cool, you know, it's got great arts, but these neoprene mats. And so tell me about the process of kind of figuring that out and, and going in that direction.
2: Well, it uh, it depends on the type of cardboard that you're using. So you know, you'd think, well, cardboard. How does that matter? Well, it, it does because the the, the 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 type of cardboard that you can source from different parts of the world has different properties. Hmm. Okay. So and that affects how flat it will lay. The, the the finished game board will lay on on the table. Okay. And you have a game board is constructed using print sheets and the print sheets are glued to the game board and that can affect how humidity is controlled. And if the humidity is not controlled properly, then that's when you can see, especially in a quad fold board, sometimes the, the, the one side will lift slightly. Okay. And um, you know, again, it depends on where the game board is manufactured. And when I was, when, for example, we were working on catacombs and castles, I'd stress that to the printer pretty much on day one. Okay. Like, look, at, this is a dexterity game. I've got this idea. I'd like to use a a, a, a square uh, space, play space. Please ensure that the uh, the game board opens and lays flat and we, we looked at some different ways that uh we could even compensate um for the if for example there was uh any any kind of um issue that that, that would occur as a result of say um uh humidity affecting the way that the um the board would ultimately open out and lay on the table so these were all discussions that um uh, that that we had and um but ultimately uh, after doing this a, a number of years and with um, m- a greater availability and greater choice of factories that are working with uh, neoprene and other types of rubber as a material, it, it seemed better to, to take it in that direction because with a neoprene or rubber material, it, you just have so much more control over that essential property of, in in quotes, flatness. Yeah. Um, And even then, there's uh, other considerations. So you can get neoprene mats, for example, in different thicknesses. And and the the thickness can affect the so-called muscle memory that it has when you attempt to unroll it and have it lay flat on the table. So this this is an, another another variable. So for some games, it doesn't matter. Oh, it's a deluxe neoprene map that we're including, uh, potentially as a special feature as part of a Kickstarter campaign or something like that. We're going to do a limited run of them. We don't really have to necessarily pay attention to whether it's going to lay 100% flat or not. Not, not a problem. Um, but again, when it comes to a dexterity game, uh, th- these considerations are important. So it... Uh, um, it, the fact that mechanically dexterity is involved definitely changes the conversation when you're working with your, your contract manufacturers, because the type of um, variables that they're used to controlling for for a conventional hobby title are very, very different when you're working with, um, uh, with, with, with uh, dexterity
1: mechanics. Yeah, definitely. Now, what have you found as far as the thickness of the neoprene mats is, is the best as far as the, the memory, you know, and not, you know, being late, laying flat and, and all that?
2: At the moment, uh, we think 1.5 millimeter thickness offers the best durability and um, has the, the potential to, to to lay nice and flat. Now, that's not a hard and fast rule because you've got to evaluate, um, the quality of the, of the supplier that you're, that you're working with. Okay. Um, but that's, uh, that's the thickness that, that, that we use. If you go up to say a two millimeter thickness or even three millimeter, um, you can now die cut, um, uh, holes and other shapes into the surface of the mat. Okay. So, but, you're now risking that the mat may not lay flat. And also remember, it will be heavier and it will occupy more interior volume when rolled up inside of a box. So there's lots of variables to consider um, when making these, uh, these choices around um, uh, neoprene mat. Another factor with ver- neoprene mats, of course, that a lot of people don't understand is cost. Uh, mm-hmm. neoprene and other types of rubbers are very very expensive relatively speaking um, versus a, a you know pr- producing a a, a similar a, a component say with a similar dimension say as a game board in, in neoprene neoprene will always almost always be twice the price and can sometimes be t- uh, you know it, you know two and a half times the the, the price depending on yeah. what you're depending on what you're doing with it okay and some of the options that you're that you're choosing. So um, they, they, they're definitely more expensive than cardboard, but you can achieve a better result, uh, in, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now, have you noticed any difference as far as the print quality, you know, printing on neoprene versus printing on a game board?
2: Well, you don't print directly on neoprene itself. There's a fine um, sheet that, that, that consists of a certain weave, um, that uh, the, the, the printing um, is a, a applied to, okay? And different factories will have different weaves. And sometimes they use a different weave even in the same factory. It's something you can't necessarily control for, but it exists. We've done it. We've actually put neoprene mats under a microscope and digitally photographed them. And we've been able to communicate to a factory that, look, this is an example of where Uh, You have uh, one particular weave and then this other perhaps sample that they sent to us. There's another one So this is how detailed this whole process can get Um, because again, um, you know, the uh, the The the, the, the weave doesn't really affect in most cases uh, The way a disc will travel across a mat It, it can but in most cases It doesn't at least in our experience based on sort of the various samples we've evaluated Okay but um, the, the that printing quality, which goes back to your original question, can vary between factories, and there's it, it can it can actually vary quite dramatically. So a cheaper uh, supplier, for example, may not have um, you know a, 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 may not do a, reproduce graphics uh, very well. Factory we work with, in our opinion, you know, we got a number of them, but the one that is doing catacombs, for example, they do excellent work and the, uh, the color reproduction and, and vibrancy is fantastic.
1: Gotcha. And as far as the difference in the surface, uh, the difference between neoprene mats versus normal game boards, as far as how the tokens, you know, move and, and fly around, is there been very much difference there?
2: Depends, uh, because again, uh, each, um, you know, printer is different. So if you're talking about a cardboard game board, it will have a linen pattern that gets in, in, impressed, imprinted into the, um, the, the the print sheet that's then glued to the cardboard. And, um, and uh, those uh, can vary depending on, um, you know, which equipment that they're using at, at the factory. Okay. So one cardboard game board with a linen finish from one factory can be different from another cardboard game board from another factory with linen mm-hmm. finish. So we always ask to evaluate their their, their linen um, uh, patterns that they apply to the print sheet. Then you're looking to compare that with a neoprene mat. And in our experience, remember, the weave can slightly vary um, between different factories um, but we found that uh, that the, the discs travel very well across the, uh, the the samples that we've that we work with uh, for, for our neoprene mats and even for the companion catacombs conquest mat playmat for example when we released a retail uh, this has an, a fantastic surface and the discs travel very very smoothly across it
1: yeah, very cool. All right, let's switch gears for a second and talk about another design challenge that I know you ran into, and I just want to hear your thoughts on it. And that's, you, at some point in the Catacombs line, you added the wall that goes around the board to keep you know, tokens from flying off the table. Tell me how you kind of came up with that idea. If you tried other things, walk me through that process.
2: It, it was uh, fundamentally based on user feedback. They uh, said to us, we're finding that as we're playing the game, the disks are clearing the game board and ending up somewhere else in their house or room or whatever. And uh, of course we were a little surprised by that at the time because um, although we'd conceived of the fact that people may, especially when they're getting started, um, perhaps apply too much uh, force or pressure while they were flicking, you really do better in a game like Catacombs, when you flick very gently,
1: yeah.
2: and have a an, and apply a lot of uh, control, and again, that's where the the practice element comes in. Okay, um, so it as a result of those uh, th- those comments and concerns from our users from our players, that was how we decided to include the wall system with the first printing of Catacombs Third Edition. And so is, so the answer to the question is, um, is pretty, pretty simple. It was 100% based on user feedback, do something to stop the discs from falling off the table and uh, each printing of catacombs third edition, we've listened to people and we've done our, our best to continue to iterate, to make our wall system even better.
1: Yeah, gotcha. All right, what are some ways that you you keep the game fresh? Because you know, third edition came out, and you had all these new ways to you know, play the game, new cars, new abilities, all that stuff. What are what are ways that you just continue to figure out? Because I mean, it's dexterity; you, you can only flick so many different ways, right? But you continue to find new ways to uh, to play the game. And so, what are what's tell me your process for just continuing to come up with new abilities and new, new ideas?
2: Well, some of it is, uh, of course, in house. We sit down and uh, you know d- decide on some uh, possible directions that we could that we could take the game, and uh, but equally there's a lot of community suggestions that we examine as well. For example, during our current Kickstarter campaign, uh, we we've been actively listening to suggestions from our backers. It's not a pre-programmed pre-order. Style campaign. I I don't like those personally. Uh, I I like there to be uh, user-driven, community-driven feedback. And if the idea is feasible, we'll do our very best to incorporate ideas from our from our players that have that have uh, supported us and enjoy playing the game. So um, it's it's the the answer to the question is it's a combination of those two uh, those two um, factors.
1: Yeah, very cool. Now, do you have any other uh, design challenges that kind of stick out in your mind as something's like, oh, yeah, this took a while to figure out or, you know, I wanted to do this, but it didn't work. So I had to do something else.
2: I, I would say the, the the biggest design challenge that we had was around uh, the, 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 the quad folding game boards. Hmm. Um, th- that was something that I wanted to do with catacombs and castles. And ultimately... That was what sent us in the direction of the of the neoprene mats. I, I remain interested in different surfaces, different shapes um, that 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 we can that, that where a, where a game like Catacombs could be played on. So, for example, we we had we started this experiment with this um, Kickstarter exclusive expansion called Keystones and Keeps, where we cut holes in this game board and then we put a pit card underneath it if a disc fell into the pit something would happen so for example there was a there was a zombie pit and there was a jungle pit and like an ice ice cubes or ice lake type pit and there were different effects that, that happened as as a result and so this is something that uh, that we we may carry forward Um, into the future. So how can we take the surface on which the game is played and cut it and manipulate it in different ways such that we can open up new ways for the, 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 the players to interact with the, with with the play space. This is an important point. Uh, It leads into another design criteria that, or more, if you could say design principle that I, that I apply. And, and that is that I believe strongly a dexterity game is best when it has a clearly defined play space, yeah. meaning that it's clear to the players where the boundaries are. So, for example, in a game like Flick'Em Up, it's not clear where the boundaries are. Mm-hmm. There's a recommendation in the manual as to how you deploy the different buildings. And there's a recommended table size, but it's really up to the players to lay out the buildings to make the town. And um, it can be a, a, a one would assume a, a smaller town or a larger town. It actually isn't answered, uh, um, you know, co- coherently. It's, it's just a suggestion in, in catacombs, for example, there is a, a legally defined play space. Well, it's the it's the play mat itself, and the, of course, then there's the the, the walls that uh, run around the perimeter that uh, that in, that enclose it. But the, the mat itself is what defines that uh, that that play space. If you were playing Catacombs Conquest and you don't have the play mat, the walls then form the perimeter, and they form the legal. Uh, play space. So if you had the base ca- conquest game and you don't have the, the companion neoprene playmat and you're just playing it on a table like you would with, with flick' up, you're now using the walls as the perimeter. Hmm. And so you, you know exactly where the game uh, is played and where it is not. Anywhere inside of the uh, of those walls is the um, is is that, uh, is that legal area same with pitch car for example like you've got a track and you have to flick it around the track the little car around the track you know exactly where you can you're 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 playing i think this is an important point at least at least in my opinion anyway because uh if you don't know where your legal play area is then it's 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 very difficult to set up the game consistently how would you how would you go about doing it well you, you don't know right so and if you want people to be at a practice um then you want that consistency don't you
1: yeah that's a great point it's actually something i ran into with with my own dexterity game so it's a space game and originally the planets were these circular cards and you just kind of put them out on the table and the table made up the galaxy so the size of your table was the size of the play space but i ran into issues of, of you know well how far away should I place the planets and is it easier if the planets are farther or harder if the plans are farther? And so like playtesters were, were not sure about things. I think one of the worst things in the world you can do as a game designer is, is leave things too open-ended where the players aren't sure. And so I think that's really one of the main differences between like an RPG and a board game in the board game. Here are the rules. Here's the setup. Here's the the play space now go. And the RPG can be a little more, you know, in, in theory kind of stuff. And so I ran into the, the issues of, of players just not knowing things and that slowed the game down and had, had a lot of other issues as well and so that's ultimately why i went to uh, using neoprene mats and, and just giving the players here's the design uh here's the 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 actual play space and if you go off of that well obviously you're outside of play space and there's no there's no question anymore so i, I think it's a it's a really good point and something for dexterity game designers to really think about
2: yeah i, I certainly think it um it, it is you know worth worth considering um yeah you know for all of the for all the reasons you you summarize there
1: yeah yeah, and so let's talk about playtesting. What have been some of the issues you've run into with playtesting? You already talked about how your game group not big on dexterity games, and that's obviously a challenge uh, for, for anybody who, it, it no matter what the game, if you can't find people to play it, it's hard to playtest. But what are some of the other uh, challenges you've run into just trying to get this game these games to the table?
2: Well, when it comes to playtesting uh, you know, internally, we don't have any trouble getting it to the table. But, um, <laughs> right, it's a little easier in that way. But in terms of, um, uh, you, know, some, you know, our particular group it's um they've got they've got their own um you know worker placement type ones that they they prefer as i mentioned earlier but uh i, I don't to be honest with you i don't think we've had too many many challenges when it comes to play testing really um you know the the it, it's fairly easy to communicate um the the the, the, the setup of the game and um you know, of course people are expected to 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 learn the icons but with a uh, but with our system it's pretty pretty easy to uh, to to start people off with well here's your basic character shot and there may be one rain shot and that's it and then you're off and I- I experimenting and uh, typically the 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 one that's the running the game the the dungeon master the overseer they're they're right there to answer questions and to Uh, to help people along. So there's a lot of handholding and, um, and and a pretty gentle um, uh, learning curve for people that are using the, the, the initial batch of heroes, if you like. And there are some heroes that are more uh, sophisticated, if you like, than others. Some of them in the base set are designed to be very, very simple to, to use. They don't have a lot of options. And for people that are more comfortable with a, a uh, a very um, simple experience, if you like, very you know that does that involves only a, a, a few choices that that um, that's, uh, that that option is available to them in terms of the, the the initial character selection.
1: Yeah, I'd say the biggest barrier to entry I've run into with dexterity games is is actually going back to the the board. And so if you're doing print and play, you know normally if you do a print and play and you've got a card game, well, people just print the cards out, they cut them up, and they sleeve them, and they can play. Well, with these games, the board is very, very important. And so for for playtesters to have to print out the board, cut it and tape it together and make sure, I think it's just been a little bit extra, it's an extra step that playtesters have to go through and a little extra barrier to entry. And that's been something that, that some people just haven't wanted to overcome. They say, oh yeah, I want to playtest your game. And I send them the files like, oh, I don't want to cut all this stuff out. Like, okay. and So uh, that's one, one issue I've run into.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, th- this one hopes that uh when you're approaching a dexterity game and even if you were in the context of being asked to play test it have an open mind and uh hopefully be prepared to have a good time it may surprise you
1: yeah definitely all right let's talk some more publishing challenges any other like manufacturing issues you've run into like the price of wood changing so now your tokens change in price or or anything just on the the publishing side
2: well the the, what we've seen over the years is that um you know, in raw raw materials costs and labor costs continue to increase, and so that affects the the retail price that a customer would 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 pay for a finished game. Um, so that's a, a challenge to balance the the, the the customer's expectation with what's in the box versus the price that we have to charge them to pay for it. And in some cases, because we're a smaller publisher, for example, we can't necessarily get the large volume discounts that some of the the bigger publishers do. But even with them, there's a a, 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 a diminishing return, if you like. You know, once you get beyond a certain print run size, um, you're you're not necessarily getting um, because of those raw material costs. You know, like a like an exponential decrease in the per unit price. Again, this depends on the complexity of what's ultimately in the box. I'm talking about like a fairly complex hobby style game. Of course, decks of cards, if you're doing a massive print run involving a deck of cards, like a card game, then there, there could be that, uh, that rule applying better, if you like, that the more units that you're ordering, the, uh, the, the cost per unit dropping. So it, that um, that that challenge, that publishing challenge, to be able to put out a great-looking product um, that appeals to consumers um, at, at, at a price that they're willing to pay. That I would that I would say is probably the, the, the biggest challenge for for us. And again, that's just because of the fact that we have to use these uh, co- components because it's a dexterity game that are subject to the constraints that I discussed earlier. So you can't just take the cheapest cardboard board, the cardboard that's available, or you can't just take the, the cheapest um, already molded plastic pawns or something like that. It's, there's uh, there's just those uh, other factors that, that come into play. That, yeah. That, that that affects the, uh, and that affects the, the, the price.
1: Yeah, definitely. All right, let's kind of switch gears a little bit. What about marketing? We, we talked earlier about how you know, this genre of board game is not uh, as, as ever-present as some of the others, like worker placement and some of those, those other ones. And so what has been your challenge as far as marketing these style of games?
2: Well, marketing so far is, uh, you know, over the years that we've been doing it, a lot of it's been um, word of mouth. That's um, certainly been a, a, a strong factor. Oh, this is different. And let me explain to you uh, how it's different. So this would be, say, someone that happened to just find out about Catacombs, say, from their local friendly uh, game store or, say, like from a, a, a like just online research or from one of the various uh, influencer channels or whatever. They decided to take a chance on it, really got into it, and, um, you know, presented it to their friends and, you know, that word of mouth uh, happens. Um, of course, uh, the other channel... Uh, is, is Kickstarter. Um, we do, um, you know, like as I discussed previously, listen to our backers. So it tends to, we tend to run very interactive style Kickstarter campaigns. Okay, so hopefully um, people realize the, the the value in that, and we do promote our Kickstarter campaigns um, uh, b- before they launch. The Catacombs Three E one probably not as much, but. That was because we were assuming that we were going to be launching Catacombs cubes first. Um, but, but be that as it may, normally people have a lot of, a lot of time to, 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 to prepare for it. So we're not one of these companies that's necessarily, um, running lots and lots of Kickstarter campaigns during the year and, or running multiple Kickstarter campaigns simultaneously. We may end up doing that with this Catacombs Playmat one and Catacombs Cubes because they're basically all running in total parallel to each other at this point. So the development on one is not going to impact the other. Um, But normally we like to complete a campaign, get it all fulfilled, make sure everyone's satisfied before moving on to the next one. Um, And if you can satisfy people at the end of a Kickstarter campaign, chances are they'll come and back you again. And your Kickstarter following continues to grow i think it's with all of the new kickstarter uh campaigns that are being launched now it, it's getting challenging for uh for new publishers to get traction on the platform um i mean it's it can be challenging enough for us to get ch- 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 uh, traction on the platform so that's a second channel anyways is, is kickstarter and then third we do maintain um uh, our convention presence so we tend to exhibit at various uh uh, co- conventions, um, either directly or in conjunction with with, with a partner, and um, so you would see us, for example, at uh, at, at Dice Tower Con, and um, uh, later this month at uh, at PAX Unplugged. Um, finally, of course, um, we we have our permission-based uh, newsletter, and uh, and social media channels as well, like you know, any other company would have.
1: Yeah, gotcha. Now tell me more about Catacombs Cubes. I, I haven't heard much about that one. So how is it different from the original Catacombs?
2: So Catacombs Cubes uh, fits thematically in the Catacombs world in that you're building the original town that the Catacomb is discovered under. Nice. So um, so th- this is described in the original uh, story that comes with the Catacombs 3E game. So we have this uh, town, Stormtren, this uh uh, frontier um, environment uh, very near a volcano and so somewhat harsh inhospitable but because of this uh, mineral resource that's available there it's attracting um, people to, uh, and settlers to, 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 to build it so a whole history so this kind of goes right back to the um, the original founding of, of that uh, of that town and uh, what you're doing in the game is you have a variety of wood cubes and you have a blueprint and a blueprint tile shows you you're drafting these different wooden shapes, what you're expected to build. And once you can build that, meaning arranging the, 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 the wood shapes in, within that configuration, you can take that tile and flip it over. And on the other side, it has a finished piece of artwork showing what that building Uh, look like. So for example, if you've built the, uh, the, the Alchemist laboratory or the the watchtower or something like that, once the tile has been flipped over, you can now add that tile to um, a common set of tiles in the center of the, uh, in, in, in the center of the, uh, the the table. And when you connect the the different tiles together, there's various effects that can happen and uh, bonuses and scoring and, and all of that. What's interesting and I think pretty innovative about the game is that I haven't seen anything that really has you following a blueprint and building these little, these little buildings. And um, it, 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 uh, in, incites, if you like a, a, a spatial part of the brain, at least it does in me. And uh, you know, it, it's quite uh, it's, it's a lot of fun to, to sit there and, oh yeah, now I can do that. I've got the draft of this particular piece. I can build it. And, um, and now I can, I can add it to the town. And of course there's also like, your, there's different types of buildings. So you're not just building the, the so-called village structures or village tiles. Uh, you're, you also have your own residence that you can work towards during the course of the game that you can then add to the town. And there's also a common palace that you can add to uh, the town as well. So all the players are contributing to the palace and when the palace is completed, um, it, it, it can be added to and there's various bonuses and effects that happen when the palace comes into
1: play. Yeah, very cool. I think, you know, these kinds of games really uh, appeal to people in the same way Minecraft, you know, the same reason Minecraft is so popular. People love to build stuff. They love to start with nothing and take some blocks and create something by the end. And so that's, that's really cool. I hope it does Really well. Now, kind of looking at what's next as far as dexterity games, what are what are you seeing as the future? You know, you've been really good at coming up with new new abilities and new ways to use different dexterity elements in catacombs and whatnot. Do you see anything on the horizon, or anything that you'd like to see down the road as far as the way that dexterity games move and change? As far as uh, what do you think the future holds, or what would you like for it to hold as far as dexterity?
2: Well, I have one idea that I've been working on uh, in, in in the background. Um, that'm uh, not actually at liberty to share but uh, <laughs> fair enough <laughs> but, it, but it, it, it's interesting and if I can pull it off um, I, I think it would um, you know, take things in, in in a whole other direction in a sense you know like so there, that's one idea so there, there's one concrete idea that I have when we talk about the future that I yeah. I would like to I would like to explore um, uh, but um, I, I, I think Um, the, just where we stand right now, we're only just getting started on what we can do with the neoprene mats, for example. Right. So, um, you know, that's not, uh, a, a particularly common material right now in the industry. Oh, sure. There's, they're starting to become a bit more, um, a bit more common, you know, with in, con- in conjunction with, say, like a deluxe item, as I mentioned previously, with, with a, offered with a Kickstarter campaign, but I'm talking about like a, a, a real retail product, if you like, like a yeah. mass market type product that features a neoprene mat. Uh, for example, I don't even think that even exists right now. I don't think, I mean, I'm sure someone will post in the comments of this episode that, oh no, there's X, right? Um, to my knowledge, I, ha- I haven't Heard about it. Okay. Um, uh, so there's I think there's going to be some interesting possibilities there. Okay. Um, then just materials. So there may be something with magnets, for example. Uh, but again, magnets are expensive. It's there's the whole resource extraction issue with them, depending on how they're they're made Um, you know you probably wouldn't be getting into magnetic rare earth elements or anything like that but it's a it's a consideration where's the where's the materials coming from um but uh you know from a supply chain perspective um and but also like from a cost perspective too um there's also a weight perspective how much heavier is that going to make the um the, 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 the retail box, for example, do people understand that a magnet has the potential to be expensive and therefore, um, you know, you may not be able to get 10, 20, 30, 40 magnets in, in a box at the price that the customer is willing to pay. Now, again, I haven't done all the economic calculations, if you like, related to magnets, but I'm saying that from a Dexterity perspective, they, they, they could be they could be interesting. There's there are some uh, designs that uh, that have a- attempted to, to to work with magnets, and to, you know, that it, it, it's an it's an evolving um, area. Um, so uh, yeah, it's uh, but I would say the the the, the biggest challenge, uh, in, if you're talking about the future, is um, this comes from a backer from one of our campaigns. How do you do a solo mode with a dexterity game? Yeah. Uh, um, you know, he joked uh, that, that perhaps we could include some kind of robotic arm or something like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> so who knows? There could be some enterprising development in that regard, right? A, ro- a robotic solo mode.
1: Yeah, definitely. This is actually something I've been developing for my own game. Um, it, it, I guess it depends on the context, depends on the type of game. Because my game is a, a 4X style dexterity, then the, sol- uh, the solo mode is just a deck of cards and uh, instead of having to flick or anything like you don't have to flick for the, the AI or anything. It just, it just tells you what it does. And so maybe it builds a structure or it moves dice or moves the spaceships around the board. And sometimes it just says, you know, it uh, destroy the closest ship to this, this uh, AI player's ship. And it's just like, there's no dexterity or anything like that. The AI can't miss so to speak. And they, they automatically hit and they destroy one of your ships and you just have to deal with it. And so that's one way that I found that you just, you give the AI player certain actions and a deck of cards to go, you know do these actions. And you're basically trying to uh, just get more points than them, or it, it could be a race, you know, where you're trying to get to a certain point threshold before the dexterity, before the AI deck does things like that. So I think, kind of an automa style that um you know the the different stonemaier games they use with the deck you know deck of cards to do different actions for the ai player that's one way to do it. it's one way i found some success in but again i think it depends on the context as far as catacombs that would be really interesting because it's so you know you're trying to hit your opponent and so like for the ai player to just automatically hit might not be in the uh the spirit of the game that you're looking for so
2: yeah well i'm sure that uh um, you know, someone listening to this will be off inventing a robotic arm for dexterity <laughs> games, you know, like uh, you know, you know, before the episode's even over, right? You know. <laughs> <Right. laughs>
1: Absolutely. Well, Aaron, man, do you have any uh, kind of closing thoughts or any general advice for somebody who's working on dexterity game right now or, or thinking about it?
2: Uh, I would say, you know, be prepared for a bit of an uphill battle um because you're working in a niche yeah, and that uh, niche, um, you know, frankly, isn't very big. It's it is growing, and there's more awareness um, uh, about these 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 types of games. But I mean, you know, there were probably ten thousand titles that were published this year, probably more. And um, so, uh, a dexterity game can help differentiate you, but then there's so much competition with more conventional games that that, that that people may be drawn to instead so it can be a bit of a double-edged sword and um, you know I, I think uh, you know you, you sometimes risk alienating players if for example you have a game that doesn't quite go all in on dexterity hmm. so it has dexterity as one component of it and so some people say, well, I really like the look of three quarters of this proposed design, but can we just get rid of the dexterity so I don't have to worry about it? Right. Conversely, you could be into into something like catacombs, which is all in on dexterity. I mean, you can't play catacombs without flicking a disc. And again, there's that risk of alienation. people say, well, I just don't don't want to do that on my Friday night. Right. <laughs> I'd rather play a role playing game or you know, where I'm imagining it and and or you know like uh moving moving a plastic figure around a hex, hex map and rolling some dice so again it it, it all it, it's it's an evolving area and hopefully um you know people will, will have an open mind and, or, or cultivate an open mind when it comes to the um th- this 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 genre um in the in the in the case of the more all-in type games and or the mechanic if it's not Featured uh, so prominently in a particular design, it's just one particular element. We can only yeah. hope for an open mind.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, man, you want to talk about your uh, Kickstarter projects you got going on and coming up in the future?
2: We have the um, uh, C- Catacombs Third Edition with the the, the new uh, play mats. Uh, that's will uh, just have wrapped up probably when this uh, uh, episode um, of your show airs. Uh, there will be a a pre-order uh, option, so um, there's sign up on our on our website for our newsletter, and we'll let you know when that that happens. There'll also be a a, a pre-order sign up page that will probably go live pretty soon after the campaign ends uh, to to let you know uh, about uh, about that as well. Uh, and then of course uh, watch for for Catacombs Cubes, which uh, which probably early next year, where you're using uh, it, it, a dexterity type mechanic, but you're not flicking disks. So you're building structures and you don't have to balance them like Jenga style or anything like that. You just have to build it spatially and then um, you, you're helping to, uh, to, to to build the town. So um, very uh, um, very uh, excited about that, to be honest with you. It's a, it's a fantastic design. It's our first third party design that we're publishing by Ken Ballas. A um, you know, local designer that's uh, um, that is uh, uh, just, just local to us here in Ontario, Canada, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, to seeing how that uh, turns out. We're very very happy with the way it's uh, it, it's being shaped right now, and I was able to help Ken with some of the um, with some of the designers um, and giving him uh, my feedback.
1: Yeah, very cool. Well, Aaron, man, really appreciate your time. Appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck with the Kickstarter and good luck with the company and good luck with everything else you got going on right now.
2: Yeah, thanks a lot, uh, Gabe. Really appreciate it. Um, You know, thanks for thanks for having me on. And um, uh, you know, I hope uh, uh, your listeners uh, found some of this uh, some of these comments uh, useful.
0: Thanks for listening.